Hello, everybody. Welcome to another thrilling episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the Facebook Radio, as you can see if you're watching video, and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. And today, before we get into our new addition to the show, I'd like to welcome the, as always, the studio audience. Thank you for being here, people. I know the tickets are expensive, but it's well worth it. Uh, so joining the podcast with me now, as I've been flying solo for a while, we have a previous guest who overcame huge obstacles in a long application and vetting process. And I mean, it's like, you know, just crazy trying to get into uh, an elite organization. Mr. Cody Bontecue. How you doing, Cody? Hey, hey, Steve. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Cody, Cody is uh, coming to us from the uh, very cool and uh, uh, freezing world known as Hawaii. So uh, we will all feel sad for him. Yep. Yep. Um, it's, it, it's tiring looking at this beautiful blue ocean. Yeah. You know, but it, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I appreciate you uh, doing that for us all. Uh, so for those that don't have maybe haven't listened, it's been what, a couple years? I don't even remember when we had you on. Uh, or about a year ago. About a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. About a year ago. And so he was just so mesmerizing and enthralling that we said, we got to get Cody on. So anyway, for those that haven't heard you before, maybe seen any of your training videos or uh, conference presentations, why don't you give us the, what is it? The 411 on Cody. Oh, the 411. Sure. Um, so I've been playing around with you for the last, I want to say four, four and a half, maybe even five years now. Um, primarily started in a Python world, but I just couldn't have, I struggled with beautiful websites and, and Vue is kind of my, my gateway into making really nice web apps. Um, started with just like personal projects and passion projects, um, but now I, I work with Vue professionally. Um, and, and I love it, uh, but I, I tend to actually lean on Nuxt uh, that's my primary primary use of Vue is I tend to use the Nux framework and I've been really enjoying Nux through the version three. Um, I think it's on like a 3.6 now. Mm -hmm. I haven't dug into the latest features, but I, I do look forward to it. All right. So uh, why Nux? Oh, so Nux, again, my, my initial... I got into Vue. I was working with Python professionally, and Vue was more for personal projects, just like entrepreneurial ideas. Um, and I fell in love with Nuxt for the SSO. Um, sorry, not SSO. Um, SEO uh, functionalities. And also, at the time, I was uh, just graduating from college, and so I didn't really have much money. And so I love the static site generation and SSR allowing me to host my sites on services like Netlify and now Vercel uh, for next to nothing. So we're using, how are you using Python? I mean, to my mind, Python's always been sort of backend. Are you, were you using it only for backend and something else for frontend or, or how are you using it? Yeah, so prior to getting involved with Vue, I, I was working with the Django framework. Um, and so Django is primarily a backend framework, but it does come with um, like a templating, I guess you could, call, I, I'm not sure what the proper term is. It's not a mm -hmm. framework, but Jinja, 
I think it's called Jinja 2, which allows you to kind of weave in for loops and data within your um, your HTML files. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I've actually worked what, about four years ago. I was working on a sort of e-commerce project that was using Django on the back end with Nuxt on the front end. Nice. Uh, which was sort of interesting. So, uh, and I think they use Nuxt on the front end because of some of the, you know, developer type tools that make things easier, you know, like the, the directory based routing and, and some other things like that. Uh, and then you just had API calls to the Django back in. So yeah, I've had a little familiarity. Yeah, definitely. That, that was actually my first case of, um, I was able to eventually bring Nuxt into the projects I was working in. And, and that's the exact stack I was working with was Django rest framework for the, the rest endpoints. And then just the, uh, Nuxt front end. Um, it actually wasn't until recently that I, I started playing with Nuxt on on the server side as well. So, so why Nuxt as compared to Vue for your front end? If you had your Django just for server side, um, it was for uh, like static site generation okay. primarily. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, and the server side rendering mm -hmm. it, it allowed for very cheap hosting of the web app, at least, mm -hmm. um, through services like Netlify and, right. and to get, yeah, those SEO benefits. Yeah, I actually have a site, a uh, little older site still on Next2. I'll probably go update some things soon. Yeah. But it's uh, using a uh, Prismic backend, a headless, you know, uh, headless CMS with mm -hmm. Nuxt on the front end, and then it's just a static generation. Uh, and then I host it basically for free <laughs> on Netlify. Don't tell Netlify. Uh, but yeah, I host yeah. It there, and so it's it's static, and so it's crazy fast. And it's one of those sites that doesn't get a lot of content updates, so it's not something where they're always in there having to add things and stuff. Uh, right. But yeah, so next with with some sort of backend certainly is a is a a really good use case. Right, and and, and that was honestly just like a personal pleasure of mine was how cheaply I could host the website and have it like see how much functionality I can get into it and you know just create huge builds of just massive websites that eventually ended up being static through Netlify mm -hmm. um, or just relying on third-party APIs that I could just manage on the client side All right yeah I don't know if this makes me a, a bad view host or or disloyal but I've been really partial for static stuff to Astro Mm -hmm. um, if you played with Astro at all, which uh, has some, uh, it, I, I like it. It's, it's straight JavaScript, but what's nice? Are you familiar with Astro? Have you ever seen it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't played with it, but I, I've been following through, you know, Twitter and just blog posts for mm -hmm. pretty much since it was announced. And I, I was always fascinated with that idea of kind of this middle ground where, you, from my understanding, you can bring in a view component mm -hmm. and a React component or a Svelte component. Right. And just kind of have them all play nicely with one another. Right. Yeah, I've used it just for some static sites. Uh, it's just pretty much great JavaScript, you know, except for maybe your custom view component that you drop in. Mm -hmm. uh, and it takes a little bit of, you know, getting used to, but once you get used to it, it's pretty easy uh, to use. And they do have SSR capabilities now. Last I talked to Fred Schott, because I've talked to him once on here and once on JavaScript Jabber uh, about it, and then I just sort of keep my eye on it. But uh but yeah, it's it's a it's a cool tool. You know, it's like, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to do that setup. 
you know, static site generator, server-side rendering, there's Astro and Next and Next and Svelte Kit and Svelte. And so that's just sort of the one that I've I've liked. Um, yeah, and I, that's something I've just learned over over the many years of my career. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm, but uh, is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, um, you know, like there's all this hype for Next, for example. And and so I, I like kind of sat down as, all right, I'm going to learn Next. What is so great about Next? And mm-hmm. it just, I, I felt like I was constantly struggling to solve a problem that would have been very simple for me in Next. And it just, mm-hmm. um, I've just realized that I don't think, I don't, I don't know how much value there is um, kind of moving away from one server-side rendered framework to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I am actually working with Next professionally right now at my job. Um, oh, really? And so I, I yeah, so I, <clears throat> I'm getting a bit deeper. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and 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 it is nice, but it, it's ultimately just you know JavaScript and TypeScript. It's it's very similar. Mm-hmm. And once you understand the pattern of one framework, it's it's um, it's not too different than the the design patterns of other frameworks. And so. That's kind of why I do enjoy Nux. And I, after like playing around with different frameworks, I'm just like, you know what? Nux is what I'm best at. And so I'm just going to, I'd rather really master Nux and find all these nice little like intricacies of the framework than have just a mediocre understanding of multiple frameworks. Yeah, right. Better be Jack, not to be Jack of all trades, master or none, just sort of get good at, at one thing. Yeah, that's that's been my approach too. There's a lot of stuff out there that you know I could really learn, and I just my choice has just been I'm not going to try to exhaust myself and try to learn you know five different frameworks and ten different tools, but rather sort of just get the tool sets that that work for me. And you know, right. and the other side of that though is to be careful is you know you don't want it to be the way I used to be with Drupal when I first started is that everything Drupal is a hammer and everything else is a nail. You know, no matter what you use. Oh, yeah, this is what I got. This is what I got, you know. So I'll use, you know, for something server side, you know, I like to stick where I'm comfortable with Laravel and PHP mm-hmm. uh, from a coding standpoint, a back end standpoint. And then I can use Vue or Astro on the front end if need be. And um, yeah, trying to stick with like, you know, Tailwind for the CSS for the very limited CSS skills that I've got that are always stretched <laughs> anytime I have to do anything fancy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the issue. And Nuxt is, uh, you know, you can obviously do it for static. You can do it for uh, dynamic stuff. You know, if you want to have a node server running and write some node code. And, uh, so now here's one thing with Nuxt, and I've never understood this. And I've talked to Drew, you know, we've had Daniel Rowe on. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, tease. We're going to have Daniel Rowe on here again here in a couple of weeks to catch us up on the happenings in the next world and see sort of the tallest hog in the trough and next and the next organization these days. Um, but going back to that, you know, we always talk about the server side rendering uh, and running on the server. And what I've never still have never gotten my head around, and maybe you can explain this to me in a way that will get through my thick skull is, you know, when I, when I'm looking at my code, when I'm working in a view template or a next template, right. We talk about how the backend sends up the rendered code, right? And then uh, in straight view, you know, it's just you mount it and then the template goes and gets all this stuff and loads it up. And there's a whole issue with it takes too long for the bot to get. So you got ACO issues. So that's why you send the server side rendered code, right? From the backend. So it's already there for the bot. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's ways around that if you're using a front end, uh, straight view front end like Rendertron or other pre-rendering services. But if I'm looking at my code and I'm watching, you know, using a debugger, you know, whether it's the dev tools in the browser or something else, where do I see that rendered code that's being sent? Is there somewhere that you can see that as it's coming in before the view component is mounted and you do any front end hydration? Oh man, <clears throat> you've stumped me. <clears throat> Excuse me, but yeah, that's. <laughs> um, but I, I I hear what you're saying. You know, if you you can see that server side rendered code. Um, and yeah, frankly, I'm, I'm unsure. That's probably a better question for somebody like Daniel. Uh, like I said, I've just recently actually started playing with the server side, um, like actually managing some of that server side rendering. Things. Oh, okay. I thought you became instant expert when you started working with it. So I yeah, you right. Answer Weird. All my huh? Detailed questions. Um, no, but primarily <laughs> my experience is on working on like the front end side of Nuts. Right. Um, just having all this SSR magic occurring and I just utilize the benefits. And I, I think it does a good job at that of abstracting um, away a lot of those, that complex things. And I, I say abstraction, but really it's just magic. I don't understand it fully. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of works, which is really nice for, you know, somebody with like an entrepreneurial goal. I just want to get this out. Um, but I'm sure, you know, it would be nice to have a better understanding of, of some of these things for debugging reasons. Um, but yeah, save that for Daniel. I'm sure he'll be able to tell you. He, he seems to know everything about Oh, Max. yeah. Oh, he's way down in the, the bowels, the nitty-gritty, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> Drew is like that, too. He's pretty, you know, and he just uses it all the time on big stuff. So he's really pretty intimate with it well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll pester yeah. them. Yeah. So what do you use for uh, your CSS? You use just like vanilla CSS, your own CSS? You use something like a Tailwind or a Bootstrap or a Ulma or something? Or what's your sure. tool of choice? So so, fun, so funnily enough, I guess, um, really, I think, I guess you just remember, reminded me, what got me into Vue was actually Vuetify. I'm not mm-hmm. sure okay, if you're yeah, familiar. Got about of course. So Vuetify is this wonderful uh, material design-based uh, framework that just built out all of these beautiful view components that you can just plug and play. Just do like a V sidebar drawer mm-hmm. or whatever, and all of a sudden you have this uh, wonderful animated view component. And so that's kind of initially what got me into view, but uh, you know the the limitations of something like Vuetify is it's very hard to customize. Um, or at least was. I'm not sure where it is these days. And so as I started needing more customizable UI components, I, I did end up in using Tailwind. And now that's what I use uh, personally and professionally. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it's you know it's really interesting in in looking over the Twitterverse or uh, you know social media in general. Um, and you can see where, you know, even on Hacker News, you'll see Tailwind stuff come up once in a while. And, you know, you can understand, Adam's told the whole story about how he, how it came to be and, and you know, why he created Tailwind and how it works that way. And to me, it, you know, it makes perfect sense, you know, what you're trying to do. But, man, you get some people that are just anti-Tailwind and they hate it. It's like, for some people, it's not enough just to say, "Now nah, I don't like it. I don't use it." It's like, "Well, this is why Tailwind sucks because it can't do this and this." Yeah. And so, uh, it's it's real interesting. You know, my my first 
full-time view developer position, we used um, Beautify. It was an app that was already built that I took over in Vue mm-hmm. 2 with Beautify 2. So we use Beautify and it, you're right. It really does um, do a lot for you. You can just drop in a component uh, and, you know, put it in and you got to add your, you know, six classes and it's using Flexbox and Grid for you and you just got to put in the right classes. And, uh, you know, it was a real similar thing. We've had John Leader on a couple of times, actually, um, to talk about Vue. Uh, I think we had him on back in like November, December. We were talking about the state of version three of mm-hmm. Beautify. And at that point, it still wasn't fully fleshed out. And I'm not sure where it is right now, to be honest. Um, you know, in my day-to-day now, we use Bootstrap View um, just because that was what they chose to use at the time that they were first starting to build the app. And and it's very similar. It just uses Bootstrap behind the scenes and has classes and does a lot of stuff for you. It's really great. But to your point about being able to tweak things, you know, it's like one of those things that out of the box get you 80% of the way there, but the last 20% you need to do on your own. But with some of those predefined libraries like that, you really can't, you know, it, it makes it make, or it makes it difficult, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And I think the idea with Tailwind is that you can do that. You can get like truly headless stuff and then, you know, just put your own Tailwind classes on top of it. In my app, you know, I just, uh, it's really, it's a really a data heavy app that I've been, my inertia view Laravel project I've been working on member management type of thing. And uh, so there was going to be a lot of data tables. And I really, really wanted to use Beautify uh, at the time. But one of the last, it was like one of the last four things that hadn't been done was still really in flux uh, was the data tables stuff. And so I was like, yeah, okay. So I ended up just going with straight tailwind and building my own tables. Um, and mm-hmm. since then, I think they've they've come a long way. I've sort of checked in now and then. Uh, and what I did was I started out with uh, Inertia has a demo app called, um, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't remember, it with a P that I just took, used that as my template and tweaked the hell out of it and added my own component, Ping. That's right, Ping CRM is what they call it. That's really sort of a little basic CRM but I just took that and modified the snot out of it and have gotten really good at building my own data tables. I mean, my own completely custom data tables in terms of layout, in terms of styling, in terms of filtering. That was the biggest thing for data for data tables for me and my use has always been like filtering and sorting and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so fortunately, Laravel has a really slick tool called Laravel Query Builder. And what it does between, and you have to do, you know, your own coding and your view template in terms of passing the parameters. But it once you pass your URL parameters to the query builder in your controller, it does it all for you. And then you can customize and create custom filters and stuff like that. So for someone like me who really likes to get close to the metal when I'm developing and know how things are working instead of having just some black box that I say, here, give me this, and it gives me to me without knowing why. It just drives me nuts. <laughs> this gives me a lot of... A control over over something like that, but the other thing I've really been noticing is that, from a Tailwind standpoint, there are a lot, a lot, of libraries, Tailwind-based libraries like a Beautify, like a Bootstrap View, that have all these pre-built components, 
that you just plug play, you can drop them in, you know, the full list of all your form elements and buttons and, you know, slide-ins and all that kind of stuff that you can, uh, and then you just style them yourself with Tailwind. So uh, a coworker of mine has been uh, a real fan of Daisy UI, which is one example. Mm. And I've looked at them and they're really, really pretty cool. Uh, just um, doing stuff like that. Uh, I think Prime View is another one set of components that you can use tail with tailwind with uh in fact uh, there's a guy named austin gill i don't know if you know who austin is um he for a brief while when he was living in san diego he was one of our panelists here with myself and Lindsay. and since then he's moved up here to portland uh he works mm-hmm. for akamai now but the reason that i came across him in the first place uh, was because of his headless components library um and I can't believe I'm Vuetensils, V-U-E-T-N-S-I-L-S, Vuetensils. And it was just a, you know, a little project that he had going um, where you, here's your base components, you know, your select list, your inputs, your whatever, and then you could apply the classes. And this is sort of before Tailwind and maybe early Tailwind, so it wasn't specific for Tailwind, but it gives you the whole head, you know, quote unquote, headless component is the way I've heard it addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put your own styles on top of that. So that's sort of the benefit of the tailwind side of things. Granted, you have to learn the tailwind, you know, classes and, and their names and stuff like that. But even tailwind itself has uh, its own set of tools. You know, there's headless UI. Uh, if you go to headlessui.com, they have uh, it's a set of like you know popovers and and uh, menus and text fields and stuff like that that you can drop in and then you know, style them as you want. And then there's also hero icons they have, which are SVG icons, JSX or SVG icons that you can either import as a component or just copy the SVG and, and copy that into your template too. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's been my, uh, say, tool of choice for theming and designing and stuff like that. And, uh, oh yeah. One, one, one more to add to the list is, um, was it Tailwind UI, right? Those. Uh, yeah, I bought that. I bought the lifetime yeah. membership that it was like, I don't know, a few years ago, 150 bucks. Yep. And Tailwind UI is awesome. I've used that wired a lot just because it, it, it's it, all their pre-built components and they're always coming up with new templates, it seems like, for mm-hmm. for yeah. different things. Unfortunately, the, you know, with their templates, the design way they're designed for, I wasn't able to find one that uh, fit into my use case, you know, for this data management type portal type thing. Uh, but you know, he's got pages and pages of all the individual components, you know, you yep. know, a list of some type or a header or a hero section or, a, you know, he's got a whole section on e-commerce and, and all the different smaller components that you can just copy paste and drop in. And I've done that plenty of times and just, and then just change the styles as you want. So yeah, that, that's really awesome too. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy it. And it, he, you know, as the author of Headless UI, he, he it kind of, um, and here are icons, it kind of blends into these. So you, you get those drop down menus and popovers mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So it, it, it works really well and it accelerates, especially like a startup <clears throat> website. You know, they have those pricing pages and, and all sorts of. Right. Yeah, all the e commerce stuff. And yeah, yeah, some of this other cool stuff that's built in there. Uh, I found useful is the typography and the forms uh, thing. So the typography, the, the one place where I found that to be really useful 
is the in the pro stuff is in the case where you have a, a headless CMS on your back end, and let's say you have like a text field. And so what you get from the back end is all the HTML, right? Uh, as compared to strictly the text. And so you can do your formatting on the back end. But then it's really, really hard if you want to customize uh, some of the HTML and, and the back end doesn't let you. Like I ran, I ran into that with Prismic. Um, mm. and just in terms of being able to format, but with this pros, this Tailwind typography plugin, you know, just npm install Tailwind CSS typography, and then you just add your certain classes to the top of your thing, and it will handle all the, you know, you can target specific elements and get really fine grained with, you know, like an H1 inside a P maybe, or some of the steps you can target. Once I got my head around it, I was like, oh, that's how this works. This is cool. Um, and yeah, you can do all kinds of different things. So yeah, some of that stuff. It's really awesome. But yeah, that's really neat. I'm looking at that right now. I didn't even you'll know see, that existed. Yeah, you'll see. Um, I think you know, going back to what I was saying, even with all that, you'll see all these posts on Hacker News or other places. Oh well, Tailwind sucks because I can't do this and this. I'm like, man, find me the tool that does 100% of what you need out of the box, and uh, you'll be a bazillionaire in no time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, right? you know let them hate. To your door. <laughs> if you don't want to use it, yeah. don't use it. If yep. you do, great. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and you know, use it. So anyway, enough about uh, me and my my tools of choice. So sure. another question. So what do you use? Uh, uh, get really detailed. Your like tools like your laptop and your mouse and your keyboard and monitor and all that stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I I wouldn't say I'm a super big hardware guy. Let's see. I'm on a M1 Max, MacBook Pro, uh, computer sponsored or company sponsored. Right. Uh, only 32 gigs of RAM. I, I, I had hoped for 64, but that's fine. Um, and that's well, the about M1s, it. You don't need a lot though, man. You don't need near as much as. Yeah. But maybe as, in like a year or two, it, all our VR rendering and oh, right. LLMs, <laughs> local LLMs, who knows? Right? right. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I, I just, I'm a track patter. Um, oh, I carry around a, yeah, I carry around an iPad if I need a second, uh, monitor, but all in all, I'm a very, uh, nomadic person, I guess I, I travel quite a lot, primarily just for pleasure and surf. Uh-huh. Um, and so my, my actual like work station is, is very small. Uh, see, I'm like, I want as much, uh, real estate as possible for my screens. I mean, if you, I'll have to show you a picture on my setup sometime, but I look like, you know, control center. Yeah. You know, Cause I have, I've got my own laptop, uh, that I use for my projects and, you know, outside of work stuff. It's an older Intel based Mac. And then I just not, not too recently got a, or fairly recently got an M2 Mac nice. for work because that's what they're distributing. Uh, and then I've got like a, what do we got? 32 inch monitor and a couple of 27s. I used to have four <laughs> monitors on my desk. I had this big old time oak desk that a friend gave me years ago. You know, uh-huh. it's, I don't know, it's probably six feet wide and three feet deep. Um, and I actually used to fit four monitors on here where I had the whole, <laughs> Uh, I mean, it would literally come out to my side to the edge of the desk and then I'd have two back here and it was like, 
you know, and then two computers and I've got two keyboards <laughs> separate for each one. And I've gotten that down pretty good. Uh, but this last time I was like, no, nah, four was too many. So now I just have uh, my laptops on the other side, keyboards in front of me. Yeah. And then front central, I have my bigger screen, my 32 inch, and then my 27s off to the side. But then I have a oh, KVM man. switch. So I got a KVM switch in the middle so I can flip my middle monitor between the two computers, depending on you know what I'm doing. So during the day, I've got it on my work computer. And then other times I, I've switched it over to the other one. So yeah, I just, I was listening to somebody on a podcast the other day who's a well-known coder and I don't remember who it is. But he's like, yeah, I'm one of those people that I've always just worked on my laptop and keyboard and that's it. I'm like, oh, I would get claustrophobic. Yeah, I, 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 you know, everyone has their, I, I guess a friend slash mentor of mine once told me, because I, I, you know, I would always have my IDE open with like, you know, I might have multiple, multiple, not tabs, but like splitting the, the pane. Mm-hmm. So I can oh, yeah. have like I multiple sections and yeah. um Whereas I looked at him and he just had one function and it was very zoomed in. So all mm-hmm. he saw was maybe like five or six lines of code. Oh. And that like that blew me away. And I was like, and his philosophy is, you know, you're not, that's all you're thinking about. And so he he really tries to just focus on those one individual problems that he's working on. And and that kind of stuck with me. When I, whenever I expand my to multiple monitors, those monitors always end up just being distractions. You know, magically a YouTube video appears on one of them or or a Twitch stream or something. So I try to stay pretty minimal, but I, outside of my, my monitor and hardware setup, I do really enjoy my desk. So I, I do have an electronic up and down desk that allows me to stand when I need to. And I'll get a, I have a mini treadmill that I'll walk on. And I actually have a desk outdoors as well. So if I ever need to, I just pick up my laptop and walk outside and enjoy the view, enjoy the birds, maybe look at the surf. No pun intended, I, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah enjoy the view um, while writing view. So that I, I guess that's more um, kind of what I shoot for is just very mobile. If I want to work on my couch, I can, you know, I'm not, I, I also love to just go to coffee shops too. That's a big thing for me. So just creating a, a workstation that allows that mobility is very important. Um, yeah, see, I'm the opposite. Yeah. I like the split pane thing. And I do it quite a bit just because, you know, if I'm working on something, I'm referencing something that was done somewhere else. That way I'm not, you know, tabbing back and forth or whatever your key is to go look at. I can just look at them side by side and right. work on them. So. Right. This was a backend dev. I, I definitely still have multiple panes where I, uh, right. you know, I might have my CSS file or, or I, I've been working in React lately. So I'll have a CSS, for whatever reason, they have CSS files instead of single, what are they, single file components like right. view. I'm spoiled. Um, so I'll have a CSS file open and, and the actual, you know, template open. And then on the side, I'll have like the actual web page that's being rendered. So I, I definitely... And, you know, I don't just look at one function at a time, but. Right. So what do you use for your IDE? Speaking of IDEs. Oh, I'm a VS Code fan. Um, yeah, Visual Studio Code. But I, I've i recently heard of something called VS Codium, I believe is what it's called. Yeah, VS, so yeah open source binaries of VS Code. And so it, it it's basically VS Code um, without all of the Microsoft telemetry data oh, um, basically yeah. it disc- it's vs code without the microsoft um which i don't know I, i've been thinking about more and more lately 
um, just trying to disconnect the data streams where I can. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't quite picked that up, but it, it's on my radar. The only reason I haven't picked it up is it doesn't have all of the extensions that VS Code does. And so I, oh. I just kind of have to gauge how much I rely on extensions. Um, so. Well, it was uh, interesting enough that you mentioned that I posted an article here and it was about VS Code and how, oh, here we go, uh, Codium.com. Is that the, uh, is that the tool? C-O-D-E-I, C-O-D-E-I-M? VS Codium.com. Oh, there's yes. a Codium.com. Okay. And anyway, they had an article called, Why Did Microsoft Build VS Code? Turns out GitHub Copilot. And so the gist right. is that they're forcing people to use their own chat or AI plugins instead of allowing open source ones to be used anymore. Uh, yep. so yeah, that was sort of interesting. Yeah, I just thought that was that was kind of interesting. And I don't know, I don't I, I'm on the fence, but I, I I'm starting to think a little bit more of local first uh, solutions right. to some of my problems. Well, I'm a bad guy because I use PHP Storm. But uh, after a long time, that's what that's our IDE of choice. Uh, yeah. But I'd been using it ever since Drupal days because they had specific Drupal integration. And I've tried, uh, I've used VS Code. Uh, I've, I've tried to use it. And it may be that I just haven't put enough time and configuration effort into it. But I know there's some functionalities, like in particular searching uh, and different ways and things you can search in, in that are much better in PHP Storm than VS Code. Uh, to my mind, and the built-in debugging is the xDebug, which I live in with PHP, is very easy to get up and going. Uh, so yeah, there's just a number of things that, and some of it could be familiarity, you know, as well. But uh, yeah. it's got you know Tailwind compatibility and, and and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's been a real good uh, IDE to use. Yeah, I you know I'm, I I worked with JetBrains primarily in college. You get a free. Um, JetBrains license when while you're a student and then yeah and then after I graduated you know that license expired and post-grad I was still very poor and um, so (laughs) so I I I kind of it was just one of those things trimming the fat trimming the expenses so I picked up VS Code and um, and actually fell in love with it you know the extensions are all open source and so there's a wonderful community of extensions that that I actually found it to be much more extensible and customizable than um, JetBrain products. Uh-huh. So I, I used the whatever the Python was, Python one was. Um, PyCharm. Yeah, PyCharm. Yep, exactly. And so that I, I yeah I enjoyed it, but I, I fell in love with VS Code, and it's really just key binds in my eyes. You know, mm-hmm. whichever one you can better understand the key binding and moving it around, that's what you're going to enjoy more. And so that, right. that was the hardest part was relearning the keybinds that I enjoyed in PyCharm in VS Code. Yeah, they tend to be across their offerings. They can be pretty similar. I need, that's, that's one of the things I really need to focus on. And I keep thinking, okay, I really need to focus on this is learning the key bindings instead of using the mouse a lot. Yep. You know, there's certain things that I can do with the keys. Right? You know, people that use like Vim, I mean, actually, <laughs> that's everything is key binding, right? Yeah. And you know, with with VS Code, with with uh, PHP Storm or WebStorm or your tool of choice, most of them are going to have custom key bindings that you can learn. 
And if you yeah. take the time, you you know you don't have to use their default key map. You can do whatever you want. Uh, and if you take the time and and get some set up and then learn them and memorize them, pretty soon you can just fly all over. And there's certain things I can do with the keys, but not near as much as as I'd like to. But I just haven't taken the time to get a you know a good set of key bindings that I'm familiar with and right and do them. So that's one of those. Are you are you familiar with um, the Primogen? The Primogen. I know the name. Yes. That's he's a big, oh, he's a YouTube guy, right? Yeah. YouTube, Twitter, yeah. kind of uh -huh. tech influence type guy from Netflix. And he, yeah, I heard um, he mentioned as a real good tech guy. He, uh, he's a big Vim, Vim, Vim influencer. And he, watching, he'll live stream and watching how he navigates through his code is incredible. And yeah. how he edits things, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and it, it has made me, attempt to learn vim as well and it, it it's really difficult to learn uh, because it's just so slow and and painful at first right and so it's trying to set up a system where i can learn it while not impacting my day-to-day -day work too heavily um is something i haven't figured out yet but i i can see how you know you spend a couple months or a year and if you can eventually get to his level of code speed it's you know your performance will go up um, drastically oh i'm sure now, Vim is something you basically run in your terminal, right? Well, you can, yeah, but you, I mean, there's extensions, even like VS Code extensions. Right. So it's, but it's not um, like a separate Windows application that you would open on a, you know, Windows or a Mac desktop, right? You're running it in your terminal. Right. Okay. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, but there's like, you know, there's like iTerm and there, there's custom hmm. terminals that you can run that. Again, with Vim, there's all sorts of uh, open source extensions that allow you to really just build out exactly what you want mm -hmm. and visually and functionally. Uh, but also like VS Code has a Vim extension, which just transforms all of your navigation to Vim, Vim commands. And, oh. um, yeah, I think PHP Storm has a, a, a like different key map options, default ones. And I think like VI or Vim is one of them. Um, you know, they have Mac and there's Windows and I've seen other ones too, so... Yeah. Um, so it makes it easy if you're coming, for, they make it easier. So if you're coming from them, you can keep your key bindings, but then just have the additional. Right. Uh, exactly. I'm just so used to my IDE and having all of my windows and buttons and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I know Wes Boss, if you ever watch any of his classes, like on yep. JavaScript, and he's mentioned this on his podcast as well, that people, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, how are you flying around the keyboard? That's just crazy how you're doing that. And some of the stuff he does in VS Code where you type this and this, okay, this will give you 30 divs with this content in it with just a few right. keystrokes, you know, those little shortcuts and things like that. Like, damn. Yeah. But even, you know, PHP Storm has, WebStorm has, you know, templates, live templates and all kinds of things you can customize the crud out of too, you know, and just type a few uh, letters right. and this would give you a whole template or this would, you know, insert this code snippet for you or something like that. It's just... As with anything, it's just a matter of taking the time to sit down and learn them. And I know at some point I'm going to have to do that, and I'll probably be saying that five years later. So yeah, you know that might be a good uh, future podcast, just kind of talking yeah, about no little like macros and templates and extensions to to boost your performance. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. all right. So uh, I know you got a meeting. You said you got to go to. So we'll uh, uh, call this the the Cody intro episode. Right. Um, and like I said, we got Daniel Rowe coming up. Uh, for those listening, if you want to be on the show and you want a, a path to fame and fortune that happens to everybody that comes on the show, you know, you can ding me at Wonder95 or at Views on View on Twitter. 
Um, and yeah, we're always looking for more people with mad view skills to come on. So with that, we'll move to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we talk about really awesome things like my dad jokes or uh, any number of uh, other uh, blog posts or food or TV show or whatever. Um, I am going to make a pick for a t-shirt. Uh, there's a, as everybody knows by now, I'm quite the fan of dad jokes. And uh, so there's this Venn datagram t-shirt at a place called dadinashirt.com. And it's really cool if you know what a Venn diagram is where you have multiple circles and then you can see where they all come together and have something common in the middle. Uh, and this one, uh, it's got one circle of dad and one circle of jokes. And then where they come together, it's labeled where the magic happens. So it's really definitely got to get one of those, put it on my Father's Day or Christmas or birthday list for my kids to get me. Yeah, that sounds like you. That'd, yeah, that's that'd work out. <laughs> right? And then yeah. uh, before we get to Cody, we'll do the, uh, the dad jokes of the week. Yeah, let's um, hear it. Yes. So, oops, got to find my my Slack here. So, uh, one, one thing, uh, you know, I've done a lot of resume, excuse me, job interviews, you know, over the years. And uh, one time I went in and the interviewer told me after looking at my resume, he says, your resume says you take things too literally. And I said, when the heck did my resume learn to talk? Right. So uh, a turtle was crossing the road and it got assaulted by two snails. And when the police asked him what happened, the shaken turtle just said, I don't know, it all happened so fast. Oh no. <laughs> right. And then, you know, I have kids, my kids are, uh, two of them are, are grown and uh, one's still younger, he's about 12. But, you know, when my kids were really little, I spent a lot of time, money, and effort childproofing my home, you know, with the plugs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the kids still got in. So, those are the dad jokes of the week. <laughs> Thank you, right, Steve. Cody, what do you got for us for picks? Uh, I, I guess my pick's a little technical. Um, there's, I don't know if you're familiar with, if you browse Hacker News often, but Every day. there's this... Every day, yeah, same. Who needs Reddit when you got Hacker News? Right. Uh, so there's this guy. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Huawei. And he figured out how to stream Apple Vision OS's simulator onto a MetaQuest, which I thought Meta was really neat. Oh, the Meta Quest, Meta is that like a VR headset? Exactly. The MetaQuest okay. 2 is, is Meta Facebook's um, uh, like consumer-grade virtual reality headset and so uh -huh. about two or three weeks ago apple released their vision os simulator uh which is only on the mac and so you have to kind of you know to get get a head start you start building your apps for the vision os um locally on your mac but in a 2d screen and so this guy was able to actually figure out a way to um send that simulator simulator wirelessly to your MetaQuest, so you can actually simulate the proper virtual reality environment within uh, a physical device. Um, but it's an Apple simulator within the MetaQuest headset, which is, I, I'm sure Zuckerberg's not too happy about that. 
<laughs> but um, from what I've read, there's not really much they can do about it um, because you're kind of doing like a remote desktop. There's some sort of remote desktop layer that allows this to happen. But I, I just thought that was really neat. Um, if you're interested in the Vision OS, you can you can actually start properly developing apps for it. Um, it'll be much nicer in an, a proper like virtual reality setting than on your two-dimensional on your screen. Yeah, we've got a, a one of our devs here, a uh, guy that I hired about a, last year, about a year ago. He showed me, he's got a setup and I can't remember what the setup is, but he can code in virtual reality. Yep. And you can have all kinds of desktops and he showed yeah. it to me, he showed a video one time. It just blew my mind. It's like, oh my gosh, to have all that, you know, all kinds of desks and monitors and it's just crazy. He's also the same guy that, you know, on his Mac, he uses uh, multiple desktops. You know, he'll have like five desktops that he's flipping back and forth and it makes me dizzy just watching. I'm like, how do you do that? Just use a big screen. So <laughs> he likes that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's crazy. Some of the, you know, first time I'd ever seen coding inside of virtual reality. Right. And, and so that's with the MetaQuest. And, I, and I've tried that, but the screen, the pixel, it's it, the text is very hard to read on on the current with their current screen technology but supposedly from what i've read is this apple product the apple vision pro the screen is is flawless and it, it also has the m2 chip and so mm -hmm. it's going to be just as powerful as your laptop and just from all the podcasts and articles i've read they're they're pretty confident this is going to be a, a game changing um so it's just something i've been interested in trying mm -hmm. to get prepared for um, because of that exact reason, right? Uh, you know, imagine if you don't need any of these screens or devices, it's just you put your headphones on and you're working and then you take them off and you're back. And it can be this kind of, uh, supposedly it's very impactful. And, and a lot of the Apple developers that have worked on it um, claim it's, it's completely changed their work, their work uh, environment. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to see a video or something like that. That'd be, uh, that'd yeah, be cool. it's all under, you know, NDA at this point. So, or sure. just, you know, the content creators saying how amazing it is. But every once in a while, you can find some tidbits out there. And I'm um, sure they're not exaggerating at all. Well, that's the interesting thing is everybody I've heard, talk, like, I have yet to hear one person who's put it on that Clint, that didn't think it was going to change the world. Hmm. Um, and to me, that's kind of interesting. Normally there might be like, some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people, whatever, but like every single podcast and article I've read and YouTube, it's just been like, this thing is amazing. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see, but right. I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. We'll put a link to that. Whatever link you provide us in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. Alrighty. So with that, we will wrap this episode up. Thanks for coming on Cody. We're looking forward to having you on the old podcast where people don't have to just listen to me. So Yeah, it's great to be here every Wednesday. All right, I will live vicariously through you in Hawaii. All so right. that will wrap it up. Oh, before I forget, um, first of all, uh, thank you to the audience for showing up again. And if people want to get a hold of you, Cody, or follow you or give you money, uh, where's the best ways or places to do that? Oh, let's see. I have a website, just CodyBontecue.com. And I also have a Twitter, 
at Cody Bontecue, just my first and last name. And so Bontecue are... is B-O-N-T-E-C-O-U, not just you. Exactly. I found that out this morning. I forgot about that. Exactly. Alrighty. Alrighty. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time on Views on View.